We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Dr. Patricia Morris, who is president of Women Thrive Worldwide. She's an internationally known leader in women's empowerment and development and an expert in gender mainstreaming. Dr. Patricia Morris, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Good afternoon, Leslie. It's lovely to be with you and your audience. Um, uh, Amazing that this even has to be reintroduced, but it has. The International Violence Against Women Act. It's been reintroduced in the U.S. House of Representatives, but this isn't the second time it's been reintroduced or even the first. It's the fifth, correct? That is correct, yes. We're hoping that uh, the fifth time is the charm. Absolutely. Um, We uh, just passed the uh, International Women's Day, which was March 8th. And you had said, quote, the International Violence Against Women's Act is a vitally important piece of legislation. The United States should lead the way in putting an end to physical and sexual violence against women and girls. Talk to us about why it would seem Democrats heavily from some very uh, big pro-choice and feminist organizations um, are not willing to move forward with Republicans in a bipartisan manner on this. Bottom line is it would seem there is a line item with regard to abortion is that true? You know, how is that in there and why is that in there? Um, my understanding is that that's not the case, that actually the International Violence Against Women Act really focuses on a few major things. It focuses on um, codifying um, the administration's uh, strategy to respond and prevent uh, gender-based violence which really talks a lot about how the different, um, uh, you know, parts of the U.S. government will actually work in coordination to address this as they do work overseas. Um, It also works to codify um, the uh, office uh, for the ambassador at large for global gender issues. Uh, and the special advisor um, for gender at USAID, and those are the, the major elements of the of, of the bill. I think one of the reasons why we've seen uh, major bipartisan support now for uh, the bill, more so than has been the case in the past four efforts, uh, is because it focuses, you know, very specifically on those key points. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, former, um, you know, political hotbed um, uh, issues are no longer a part of, um, of the bill. Okay. So now we have to look back and into where we are now. Why did it take why, – why is it taking a fifth time to come before Congress again? Who or what has been an obstacle in the past? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the major obstacle has been what is, as, you know, we all know, a very political issue, um, you know, in the United States, which is, you know, we, we have very differing views 
um, you know, among the population, among our representatives in terms of, you know, reproductive health and reproductive rights, um, you know, for women around the world. And, and of course, you know, it is, it is sort of difficult in one sense to talk about gender-based violence and not look at some of these issues. Um, and so, you know, in the past, those were included in the bill, but then we could not get, you know, consensus. And, of course, part of being able to pass a bill in the United States is about, you know, having bipartisan support and consensus, you know, for the elements in the bill. And I think we, you know, after five times, we have gotten to a point where, you know, I think we have a bill that has the most likely possibility of being passed. We're really excited about that. We think it's critical. Critically important gender-based violence is, you know, an epidemic in the world, and the United States should take a lead in helping to prevent and respond to that epidemic. Um, I want to talk about why the United States should lead the way, and I agree with you that it should. This bill would help to put an end to physical and sexual violence against women and girls, but people might say, Dr. Morris... A piece of legislation alone can't do that. What do we need in addition to this, and why is this such a critical first step? Well, it's a critical first step because what it does is it helps to maintain the U.S., you know, international development assistance focus, you know, on this area. Uh, and, and there has been some good work that has been done, you know, to date in this area, you know, under um, the president's strategy, um, the gender-based violence strategy. And so being able to then codify that in law will then lead to, you know, sustainable efforts in this area. For instance, there's been some really good work that has been done in Latin America in terms of, you know, through USAID funding um, to support the development of um you know, sort of like one-stop shops, you know, where you, where you have, um, you know, courts that are 24-hour courts that when women come in and they, you know, have been, you know, they're survivors of gender-based violence, they are able to then not only get um, the legal services that they need, uh, but they can also get the health care that they need right there. They can get the psychosocial, you know, um, services that they need. It's all in one place. It reduces the amount of time that it takes, um, you know, for a survivor to go through the process. It, you know, it reduces, uh, you know, the amount of, you know, stress and re-trauma that happens if you have to go to four or five different places to be able to, um, to get redressed. And because of having it all in one location and one space through U.S. government funding, you know, there has also been an increase then in prosecution, you know, for these, for these crimes. So they're really very beneficial things that can come from having the law passed in order to be able to then ensure that there is funding and then programming uh, to address these issues uh, around the world. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our guest, Dr. Patricia Morris, president of Women Thrive Worldwide. Follow her on Twitter at Pat Thrive. The website is womenthriveworldwide.com. Back after this. We're back talking with Dr. Patricia Morris, president of Women Thrive Worldwide, internationally known leader in women's empowerment and development and an expert in gender mainstreaming. Uh, Dr. Morris, uh, thank you for holding. Thank you for joining us and uh, welcome back. 
Do you Thank feel, you. Um, I mean, obviously this is an excellent first step. Why is the need now more urgent than ever? You would think that there would be reduced violence among women as more and more women become educated, a part of the uh, workforce, and, and there are more women throughout the world, not just here in the United States and the Western world, that fight for, and many that achieve um, you know, women's rights. Maybe not the same amount of money on the dollar as we're still fighting here uh, in the United States, but some people might say, why is it more of an issue now? Why is it more urgent now? Well, you know, I think that you know, part of it, it does in one sense – um, appear as if there is, you know, a, you know, growing, um, you know, uh, um, uh, gender-based violence and violence against women. Uh, certainly, you know, we've seen in in recent decades, um, and you know, contemporary wars, uh, you know, the use of gender-based violence as a tool of war and war rape in places, um, you know, as far back as you know Bosnia and 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 Kosovo, but then also more recently in you know Rwanda and Congo and uh, and the like. Um, at the same time, we're also seeing you know a lot more you know. Um, very, you know, sort of, um, you know, public um, uh, violations of women like, you know, the rapes and then, you know, subsequent deaths that we have seen just very, very brutal in uh, in, in India, um, for instance. In places like South Africa, I believe South Africa has been touted as the country that has the highest rates of uh, domestic violence uh, uh, in the world. Now, some of this, of course, is, is a real increase. Some of this is that, you know, as the issue has become more of an international development and a public scourge, uh, what you found is that, you know, they're, they're, you know, people are now more comfortable to actually come and report this. And so, you know, part of the increase that we're saying, seeing is because of the increase in reporting. Um, and so because more of uh, the uh, violence against women that is happening around the world is being reported, uh, you know, then there are more, you know, cases for us uh, to deal with. So in, in, in that sense, you know, both a little bit of the growth um, in, you know, an increase in violence against women and then also the increase in the reporting of it, you know, really brings it to, you know, the point where, for all intents and purposes, it is an epidemic. The fact of the matter is that one in three women in the world will be a victim of some for, form of violence in her lifetime. That's an epidemic. Most definitely. Uh, you know, we we have, you don't just need to look at the bus uh, gang rape that took place in Delhi a couple of years ago. And, and with the Internet, many of us are much more aware of things that are happen happening by uh, perpetrators uh, toward women based on gender. Um, uh, you know, through the Internet, internationally, to look in the United States, something that happened in India that we may not have been aware of uh, in the past. Some people might say, although, yes, there's no question we have a need for an International Violence Against Women Act, doesn't that act, in a sense, even though it's needed more perhaps in a country like India than the United States, one would at least assume, don't you need a lot more in countries such as India? In other words, the attitude toward women and the societal norms need to change greatly. Can this piece of legislation assist in that as well, Doctor? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do want to quickly say that, you know, violence against women is as much an epidemic here in the United States as it is, you know, elsewhere. We have, I mean, you know, rape on college campuses is, is, is rampant. Um, you know, violence against women and, and the military is, 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 is also, at, you know, I mean, incredible, incredible rates. But in terms of, you know, what can the International Violence Against Women Act do in in terms of dealing with issues um, that are stemmed, you know, perhaps in, uh, you know, some would say, you know, culture and tradition and, you know, patriarchal beliefs, you know, the, the bill also helps to support a lot of the very innovative work that's being done in that area. There's a wonderful organization called Promundo that is doing a lot of work in terms of working with men and providing a counter-narrative uh, that basically says, Violence against women and gender-based violence is not right, that it's wrong, it's not cultural, it's criminal, uh, that, you know, doing those kinds of things is not what it means to be a real man. A real man does not, you know, um, you know commit violence against uh, uh, women. And so, you know, they have been actually very, very, very successful in their work in terms of transforming the attitudes and then subsequent behavior of, of, of men. So they're working on the prevention side, uh, as well as some of the other good work that's being done on the treatment side. Why do you think, and what do you think is going to happen this time? I, I, you know, I'm generally a pessimist, and you know, the United States Congress certainly doesn't do uh, well playing together. Uh, now we have a Republican majority in both the House and the Senate. Is that a game changer, for better or worse, with regard to this? Well, I'm an, an, an optimist, and one of the reasons why I'm optimistic ab- about this bill passing is that it does have bipartisan support. Um, you know, it was uh, introduced uh, in, in, in the House with, you know, nine Republicans and nine Democrats signed on. Um, that's the most, you know, um, bipartisan support we've had for the bill to date. You know, it has a better chance of passing now than ever. It's still early uh, in the in the season so that it could, you know, go through the whole processes in Congress way before we start to, you know, to begin, um, you know, the, you know, 2016 presidential campaign uh, so that, you know, it is quite, quite possible now more than it has been the past four times for this uh, bill to pass. And we are encouraging all of your listeners to get in touch with uh, their members of Congress and encourage them to support this. They can do that very easily by going to our website, www.womenthrive.org, and, you know, there are all of the information you need to send, um, you know, a message to your congressperson is right there for you to let them know that you want them, you know, as a constituent, you and as a citizen of the U.S., you want them to pass the International Violence Against Women Act. Most uh, most definitely. And this isn't just about women, right? I mean, you know, men have mothers and daughters and wives and sisters and friends. Um, this is also a betterment for not just humanity, but for our, our world on the whole. Oh, absolutely. 
And, and, and you know, the, the bill will be codifying, you know, the administration's strategy, you know, for the prevention and response of gender-based violence, which means that, you know, we're looking at violence against women and girls, but gender-based violence, I mean, it also happens, you know, to men and boys in the Congo, a smaller amount than the, the case for women, but nonetheless, men themselves have also been, you know, sexually violated uh, you know, during, you know, the conflict, uh, in many places, you know, boys are sexually trafficked around the world. Uh, so they are, these are issues for both women and men in terms of, you know, the violence that is perpetrated against them, sexual violence and violence because they're either males or females. Okay. Um, I was thinking when we were going to have you on about, Groups like ISIS and Boko Haram. And people might say, why the heck would you think of that when we're talking about international violence against women and this act uh, being, you know, presented again and hopefully, God willing, being passed? But don't you think when you look at groups, violent groups like ISIS or Boko Haram, and when you look at how they use physical violence and sexual violence against women and girls, and they use it as a tool of war, like many uh, groups do, uh, especially uh, terrorist organizations do, wouldn't this speak volumes as to the world, in a sense, being united and the United States leading that unity to you know, to try and stop and prevent future behavior like this. In other words, doesn't this, in a sense, attack them from another angle? Yes, it absolutely does. And, you know, it's, 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 it, most people in most countries around the world do not approve of this kind of behavior. You know, it is not the kind of thing that we are saying that we want to have in a civilized world, in a, in a, in a, in a better world in the future, um, you know, for um, the, global, the global community. And, you know, I think that when organizations like ISIS and Boko Haram, you know, kidnap, um, you know, um, girls, you know, kill, you know, boys as they are students, marry off um, uh, the, the, the girls, you know, they, they, they really suggest that, you know, what they're doing has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, some, you know, political, um, um, you know, self-determination. That's basically what they're saying is that they're criminals. And I think the world is united against that kind of criminal activity. I, I want to also look at what this does. I mean, we know, like you said, it's a bipartisan bill, 18 original sponsors, nine Republicans, nine Democrats. Uh, and we also had a, a lead sponsor, one of my favorite senators, uh, outgoing senator uh, soon, uh, Senator Barbara Boxer. Uh, you would also talk about how this speaks volumes, the support on a bipartisan level and the strong bipartisan support. But let's talk specifically. How does this piece of legislation make the world safer for women and girls, I think that's something that we all agree about uh, upon as uh, uh, Americans. You had said combating gender-based violence, it's not a partisan issue. It's imperative. So specifically, what does this do to make the world safer so that people understand who aren't going to read the massive amounts of pages entailed? 
Absolutely. One of the most important things uh, that the bill will do is that it will require all of the agencies of the U.S. government that are doing international work to to look at how gender-based violence uh, is affected or affects the work that they do. So if we're doing uh, work through, of course, the, uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development and we're, you know, looking at education programming, we may want to be then looking at issues in terms of violence in the school. You know, if we're doing, you know, trade, I mean, we may want to look at issues like cross-border trade and, you know, women traders and, you know, what are the kinds of issues that they have in terms of being able to cross uh, to sell their products, you know, from their country to another country and what are some of the, the issues that happen there with, um, you know, cross-border officials, you know, requiring, you know, um, you know, sexual favors, you know, for them to get permits to move back and forth. So, you know, in a whole range of areas where we do work, we will be able to address what is a pervasive uh, issue because the, the, the law will require that we do so. And so it will help to bring these issues to the light. It will also help to identify what are best practices for addressing and eliminating um, these issues worldwide. And in the end, it will make the lives and the livelihoods of women and girls around the world much better. Do you think that this document is not only necessary because it shows action that we're taking, It shows men and women working together, and it shows Democrats and Republicans. But it might set off other countries to enact their own legislation, even though this this is an international document. Yes, absolutely it will, because, you know, the, 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 the law is really focusing then on, you know, the, the international work that the U.S. does, right? Uh, I think that, you know, with the U.S. taking leadership in this area in terms of what our contribution is going to be, it then encourages other countries to do the same. You know, it's really very difficult uh, to go and work with, or, um, with countries in partnership and say to them, them, well, you really need to take care of your violence against women, you know, problem when we are not ourselves, you know, holding ourselves accountable to do the same in the work that we do in partnership with them. And so this allows us to be able to say, we are willing to work with you on this. We've already taken these steps, you know, and in countries where they are moving forward and addressing this problem, they will then see us more as a partner in this because we have passed this law. And in countries where they're still sort of struggling with how they're going to address this, this will encourage them to do more. Do you think that in addition to being a moral issue, this is an issue of national security as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you brought up the whole issue of, um, you know, Boko Haram and ISIS, um, you know, Al-Qaeda, you know, who also had, you know, very, um, you know, detrimental and violent views um, and behavior, um, you know, towards women in Afghanistan, for instance. Uh, You know, clearly, you know, what we are seeing is, you know, I remember I, I spoke with a woman in Sudan, and you know, and she was saying that what they were finding is that, you know, these, you know, men that are fighting with each other were really, you know, using women's bodies, um, you know, as their, as their battleground, like in Darfur, for instance, you know. And um, so, you know, this is, this, this is, 
this is what we see and this is what we need to to be challenging because so many of the you know extremist groups that have you know popped up in the you know past few decades uh, are you know part you know of their philosophy and their worldview is you know the exploitation of of women, you know, and so they are not only, if you will, sort of like political enemies, you know, they're also enemies of a broader notion of human rights and, and, and humanity. Thank you for joining us today, Doctor. Really appreciate it. Again, Dr. Patricia Morris, who's president of Women's Thrive Worldwide. And check it out. Go to womenthriveworldwide.com. Follow her on Twitter at Pat Thrive. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.